Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. We're over a quarter of the way through the 2013-14 season. Is this already the most open, entertaining and unpredictable Barclays Premier League ever? I don't think MD's going to really run away with it. I think there's a lot of ups and downs. I think it's a close-run league this year. We've made an excellent start. We're up there and we just want to make sure that we're going to stay there. We are perfectly focused and ready for the battle. The title race is wide open, but how are Pochettino's Southampton still in that mix? Pochettino is a very blunt, very clear-cut manager of what he wants. He's a very, very demanding man, and you don't get many second chances. And a Norwich legend explains why the Canaries should stick with Chris Hewton. I'm looking at it and hoping that they're going to get results that continue the confidence that the game last week at home against West Ham. They've got a very tough fixture away at Newcastle now. He'll be hoping that the confidence is still within the squad, and then they can go up there and get something from that game as well. We'll speak exclusively to Brian Gunn and Spanish expert Graham Hunter. Plus, we hear from Manuel Pellegrini, Lucas Lever, and Fabio Barini on this week's official Barclays Premier League podcast. Hello and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm Marcus Buckland and this week I'm joined by two stellar guests, the former West Ham Crystal Palace and Southampton striker Ian Dowie and the Daily Mail's football news correspondent Neil Ashton. Hello, gents. Hi, Marcus. Now, Ian, you have been heavily linked with the vacant Crystal Palace manager's job after Ian Holloway left the club last month. Any recent developments you can tell us about? Not really. I mean, as far as it was, I had a contact from Steve uh, when I had a chat with him. Gone very well. I met, met some of the other members of the New Day Point staff. That was a while ago. I haven't heard anything since then. But, um, you know, what I do think is there are, there are four lads who own the club. I think three are actively involved now and uh, I think they're, they're trying to do the best they are. They're new into it. They need their time to be able to set up. But they seem people who very much care about the future of the club. So, you know, they, I think it's right to take their time. And But um, for me, I, I think it's a, it's a job that's it's a very difficult one. I haven't scored in seven. Goals are an issue, but whoever gets the job, know that they're taking over a club that's got a fantastic, you know, fan base. So it's, it's something, as you've seen this year, the fans have been fantastic. Neil, it's, it's a club close to your Heart. Mm. It's part of the problem where they currently lie on the table. Well, of course, being bottom of the Barclays Premier League, it's, it might not be the most appealing prospect, but the Palace job is not only about getting out of the bottom three of the Barclays Premier League, it's also a project because the owners and, and, and Ian's just said that he met certainly Steve Parrish, one of them who's probably the uh, the guys at the forefront of everything Palace are trying to do. They're also trying to redevelop their stadium. So the next manager, in their view and probably in mine as well, is that that manager has to buy into what they're trying to do, the structure beyond this season, beyond next season, that they want a long a manager who's there for the long term as part of their long term strategy to build a stadium that can attract top class players because at the moment Selhurst Park is in the same condition it was 35 years ago when Steve Coppel took the job Yeah lots of work to be done in that part of uh, South London. Of course no top flight matches at the weekend due to the international break so we're going to discuss how the Barclays Premier League is shaping up with just over a quarter of the season gone and Norwich legend Brian Gunn will join us to discuss Chris Hutton's efforts at turning things around at Carrow Road but we'll begin with the team's fight for the title. It's been an unpredictable season so far. Just six points separating the top eight. Arsenal leading the way, of course, 25 points from 11 played. Liverpool on 23. Southampton, 22. Then Chelsea in fourth on 21. Manchester United, Everton and Spurs all with 20. And Manchester City currently in eighth place with 19. So, Ian, it's not really the table that most people would have anticipated at this stage of the campaign, is it? No, it's certainly not. And not even after the first game of the season. But I think probably that 
eight won't stay the same order, but I, I think that eight may well remain in place to the end of the season. They might juggle about. They've certainly people go up and down, but I just think that that will that will make up the top eight. I don't think Manchester City have got the organisation away from home. They're brilliant at home, aren't they? They've won mm. every home game in in the league so far, and they've scored over twenty goals. And Aguero's been fantastic. But away from home, they don't have leadership. Vincent Company's injury is a problem for them without their captain in the team. They've lost those four away games so far, and also when new managers come into the Barclays Premier League, certainly from from abroad from the continent, as Pellegrini has done. Being at home games, being at the Etihad is, is fine because that's that's his home, that's his new home. When you go to away games, these are all stadiums that he's probably never, certainly Stamford Bridge, yes, but other, other games such as Sunderland where they've also lost this season, it's a stadium and environment he's just never been to. That, I believe, transmits to players when people aren't used to their own surroundings. I still think, just so you know, I just think anyone who beats Man City will win it. I still think they're favourites. Still very much in it, aren't they? Well, let's look at the eight and why they can and can't win the title. We'll start with Arsenal. Ian, why can they win it? I think they're the most creative midfield. That's why they can win it. With Oxlade-Chamberlain and Walcott to come back, Corzola, Ramsey, Wiltshire, Arteta... Flamini. I just like their balance. Why can't they win it, Neil? Course and distance is a big thing for me. They haven't got players who've ever crossed the line in, in the Barclays Premier League. They've got a manager who's done it, but not since 2004. And, and also, they need somebody to take a bit of pressure off Giroud up front. Liverpool are second. Why can they go on and finish first? They've got the brilliant strike force, haven't they? Suarez and Sturridge have been absolutely outstanding. That's where Brendan Rodgers will rely on. If they're going to win the league, it's going to be down to those two. And what's going to stop them? Well, one, not enough goals from other areas. And two, defensively, they've still got big question marks. Southampton, the surprise package of course in third place can they not sure <laughs> but uh, listen I'll, I'll give you a case of win them that they have a fluidity a youthful enthusiasm and a great belief in the system they're currently playing under. But some ifs, plenty of ifs, I suspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah there is. Schneidel and Wanyama in the centre of their midfield, they've been outstanding for them. But what they want to do this season is to finish in the top four and get into the Champions League. That is their target this season. I believe they can do that, but they, they can't actually go on to win a title. Chelsea have been a little up and down. A lot of people still expect them to go all the way. Why can they go all the way? Just belief. Mourinho knows how to go and win a title and players believe in him. They did it in 05, they did it in 06 when they won consecutive titles under him. I actually think they'll go and do it again. What's counting against them for you, Ian? Some of the players are not what they were. You mentioned Manchester United, who are putting a bit of a run together. Can they go all the way? I think they can because of two factors, Van Persie and Rooney. For David Moyes, this is, some, this is something new to him. I think it's, it's taking him time to adjust to life at the sharp end, at the very, very highest level of the league. And for United to go on to be able to win that title, the players will have to believe in it. I'm, I'm not convinced that, that that is the case at this moment in time just yet. Do you think that Roberto Martinez and Everton should believe that they could surprise everybody in this unpredictable season and go all the way? Well, I don't think Martinez realistically believes that, that Everton can go on to win to win that lead. The great Everton teams we're talking 30 years ago, that's uh, with the likes of Andy Gray, Trevor Stephen, Gary Stevens. They've never found a team that will compare to that. Spurs, you touched on them. They've got a good squad of players. They're obviously not scoring enough goals. If they rectify that, Ian, can they become genuine challengers this season? Yes, they can because they're defensively the best team in the league. And Manchester City, we spoke about them at the start along with Chelsea, joint favourites at the start of the season with that home form in particular they're yeah. going to be there or thereabouts well, they, they? they need consistency because I don't believe the goalkeeping position is, is resolved Pantillamon's in at the moment but Joe Hart is the established number one at Manchester City so they have to Pellegrini has to resolve that but if they're going to win the title they will rely on the firepower of Sergio Aguero someone who Jamie Carragher said is the best striker in the league at the moment thanks chaps good resume of uh, the eight challenges let's go into a bit more detail now and we'll start with the league leaders Arsenal went into the international break with a two point advantage and have clearly given their fans reason to believe that they can end that eight 
eight-year trophy drought. Their last match was against title rivals Manchester United. Of course, it resulted in Arsene Wenger's second defeat of the season. The spirit was great, the heart was in the game, the desire was fantastic, and we kept going despite the fact that we had already to give a lot in Dortmund. We kept going until the last minute. It's unfortunate, and I just can uh, think, uh, let's get over that and come back stronger after the break. A little bit of a setback, which, of course, Arsene Wenger will be brooding over during the international break. But do you think he's surprised and they in general are surprised at how well they've done so far this season? Well, they in general might be, but he's definitely not. And this is, I think, is his greatest quality and maybe maybe his biggest weakness. He has the ultimate belief in his group of players and the people he brings in. It's reaping rewards. You think about what's happened with Ramsey. You know, people were maybe calling for him to move on now all of a sudden. You know, and that's that's a result of the manager's belief. It's amazing how players respond if you if you have that belief. So I think Arsene Wenger's not, not surprised. Yeah, well, you mentioned Ramsey. Six league goals already, Neil. Most tackles of anyone in the league. Is he the player of the season so far? Yeah, he's been absolutely outstanding because no, what I love about him is that no one really predicted this. Who at the start of the season said that Aaron Ramsey would be the form player, would be winning the, the Barclays Premier League, you know, the Player of the Month awards. That's what he's gone on to do. And it's not only in the league, but also in the Champions League, he's been outstanding. The, the game against Manchester United at Old Trafford, it felt like a game too far for Ramsey. And I don't think it was because of the quality of the opposition or the midfield that Manchester United played that day. I just felt that this is a guy who needs a rest. I don't know if he's played the most minutes in an Arsenal shirt so far this season, but he'll be right up there. And his, his energy, box to box, is, is absolutely extraordinary. Of course, in recent seasons, they have looked vulnerable at the back, mm. less so yep. so far this season. Who, who gets the credit for that, Ian? Everyone's talked about Steve Bold. We had a little discussion with that, I think, brief part of last season. I do hope so that it's Steve Bold. Clearly, I think it's an area they really need to address. I still think they've got an area to address some wide set pieces and corners where they're still markings only and don't seem to know quite what they're doing. Other than that, they've been really good defensively. It looks a good organisational shape with them when they're out of the ball. First time in a long while when Arsenal lose the ball, look to have decent defensive shape. One word answer from both of you. Will they end their eight-year wait for a trophy? No. Any trophy? Yes. No. (laughs) (laughs) We build them up and then we bring them down again. So Manchester United beat Arsenal in the last round of fixtures and after a shaky start under new manager David Moyes, they are now unbeaten in their last nine games in all competitions. They sit in fifth position and Moyes himself has given us his prediction for the season's title race. I don't think MD's going to really run away with it. I think there's a lot of ups and downs. I think it's a, a close run league this year. There'll be a few shocks and I think we've had one or two ourselves in the early part of the season. But uh, I'm pleased that we're beginning to show a little bit more consistency, a wee bit of momentum and uh, let's hope that we continue that. Well, I mean, that Arsenal will be brooding a little over that defeat at Old Trafford. Equally for David Moyes, Neil, huge boost. And, and appear to be really encouraging signs for him now, don't they? Yeah, they're certainly on a good run of form. Um, and he has, he has the players at his disposal. I think he's just trying to find out a way to, to use them and get the best out of them. He's found a way with Robin Van Persie and, and Wayne Rooney. That's the posi- Rooney is in the position where he seems happy, he's comfortable, that's where he wants to play. The idea that last season Rooney played in seven different positions. He played in all three in midfield and all, all three forward positions. And he also spent some time on the bench as well and for a player of his quality and his class and someone who's been performing at the highest level for such a long time that isn't how to treat a top player it was difficult for, for Moyes when he came in to handle that situation and he has I think he's done it I think he's done it very well Manchester United's problems I suspect will be at the back will Ferdinand and Vidic play at the back for Manchester United consistently between now and the end of the season they won't mm. of course really came so close or so it seemed to leaving in the summer now he's oh. talking about signing a new contract is that Moyes' greatest achievement so far getting him right back into the fold I think Neil alluded to earlier, 
I think Man United have found a way to win nine games without ever playing anywhere near. And, that, and that's in their DNA for a long number of years. That's why you can never discount Man United. And all Wayne Rooney, even performances against Arsenal, where he, he's not on the ball a lot, but he finds a way to be the man of the match because it, it, it's in his DNA. So, yeah, I, I suggest he might well sign a new contract. But I think that'll be dependent on where they finish. If they're in the Champions League and getting close to titles, he'll definitely sign. And who they sign in January. But um, Wayne Rooney's been Man United's star by a long, long way. He's the only reason they're where they are. OK, well, coming up, we will be finding out how an unknown Argentinian has taken the Barclays Premier League by storm. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Marcus Buckley. Welcome back. Let's now move on to one of the most romantic stories in Barclays Premier League history. Southampton, who were playing in the third tier of English football as recently as 2011, have made their best ever start to a top flight season. They currently occupy the dizzy heights of third place. One of your old clubs, of course, Ian. Can you believe how far they've come in such a short space of time? No, I think it's a, it's a meteoric rise. I think there's a couple of reasons behind it. I mean, don't forget, it's one change to a back four that was conceding an awful lot of goals last year. I do think there's in Schneidlin and Wanyama, they've got two lads who are happy just to do that defensive shield and they do it brilliantly. It allows the full-backs to raid. I think they've got a very good front four. That, that's proving very, very potent. Well, Maurizio Pochettino to a, a lot of people, certainly in the United Kingdom, was an unknown quantity uh, just 12 months or so ago. So how has he been so successful? Well, let's uh, have a word with a man who knows his approach extremely well, Spanish football correspondent Graham Hunter, who is based in Barcelona. Hello, Graham. What is the secret of Pochettino's success? Yeah, that's a good question. Look, I think if you're doing a compare and contrast exercise, there are a great number of things you can pick up on that he used at Espanol with varied results. For example, when he came in in extremis, he came in in mid-season in 2008-2009 and immediately tightened up the defence. It became a very thorny prospect playing against Espanol under Pochettino and the team began to mirror what he'd been. He'd been an extraordinarily good, hard, intelligent centre-back, not blessed with great height for that position, but compensating with positioning, timing of his jump. He also was a tough opponent. He was really difficult to play against and that began to be immediately apparent. But then over the the ensuing years, when twice he finished mid-table with very poor resources, he put a heavy emphasis on youth. He promoted from within. He scouted young players at other clubs. He revolutionised the squad. I wouldn't term it as good and bad, but you can paint positive and negative spin about it. And I spoke to people at Espanol once he left, and it was very clear that there was a surge of confidence and adrenaline, and this is my team from the youth talent he promoted. And this was all happening, remember, at a time when Pep Guardiola was doing something similar across the city at Barcelona, and and it felt very much like a, a minor version of that. And he put faith in people who not only had talent, but I can only phrase this, crisply would do exactly as he wanted. Pochettino is a very blunt, very clear-cut manager on what he wants, particularly how on three aspects. One, how the ball is kept on the deck and played and used, maintained. It's a version of what the world fell in love with under Pep Guardiola at Barcelona, and you see it by a minute. It, the ball is supposed to be the friend of any team that Mauricio Pochettino is coaching. Secondly, his discipline in, in everything that he wants players to do, how they live, their timekeeping, how intensely they train. He's a very, very demanding man, and you don't get many second chances. If you step out of line on Pochettino, it can mean the end of your career at a club. You can be frozen up because he's that intense about his demands. And I think the next thing is in defending. I haven't looked closely before we chatted about Sarandon's defensive stats, but if you go back and look at how Espanyol began to concede far fewer goals, defend all over the pitch, and give the ball away a great deal left, make fewer mistakes, 
Graham, can I can I ask? I saw Nicola Cortese over the summer was actually at Southampton's pre-season training camp, and he was talking about Pochettino and the first time that he saw him as the Espanyol manager, and he said that he had a presence and a gravitas on the touchline, and that was one of the reasons why he decided to replace Nigel Adkins with him. Did did you get a sense of that when he was working in Spain? Yeah, look, you're right, and I, I think that you and I, when when we use a descriptive word to try and explain what football people tell us, we have to be careful not to package up how we started up this discussion in terms of magic formula. And, and be too poetic or romanticised about people but there are certain characters within football whether they be players, scouts, directors, chairmen or indeed managers who do give off to us but also to their players the drive, uh, the intensity, the sparks of don't cross me, do what you're told but who also can unite people behind a vision now the thing you've identified is there certain players will unite behind them there is a, a clarity, an intensity, a football intelligence there that tends to influence both journalists, fans, but most importantly players and the backroom staff and, and Pochettino has that, he had it as a player and he has it as a manager, where I've been a little bit surprised that the other factors that he's got beyond his presence his English needs to develop intensely quickly, it seems that he's done that on the training pitch, although he still I think chooses to speak in Spanish he had a reputation for falling out with players who didn't do things his way, I agree with how Cortese described this man to you but I'm, the speed of his transition has definitely been ahead of what I thought he might be capable of. Graham, just to Ian Dario, just I mean, I've seen Espanyol play under Pochettino, but what I've been surprised is he seems like the forward press that he's demanding seems like it's almost 10 yards further forward, and maybe that's a link to your football intelligence. He seems to have adapted that, you know, against probably the better size. He, he didn't quite press as high, seems to have done a much higher press at Southampton. Ian, I, I couldn't agree more, and I think that, number one, I go back to what I genuinely believe will be true when Pochettino's at Southampton, when he to a bigger club when he's repatriated to La Liga when he's in charge of the Argentinian national team across the length of his career is that there is a real clear-eyed football intelligence there and he's one of these guys who doesn't you'll have encountered all different types in your career that there are some managers who say this is my vision this is my theory and it's not adaptable it will not move this is how I succeed and there are others who will be far more flexible depending on situations and that's Pochettino number one I know he inherited a fitter more athletic group at Southampton that the Nice Icons left behind. Secondly, it's patently clear that he's been able to adapt it a little bit to his own taste. The revolution he authored at Espanyol where he was trying to move out older players and bring in younger players was in its genesis, which is why in, in the final season when he was dismissed at Espanyol, you know, sometimes you're doing the right thing, but time's run out, time runs out on you. I think he had better material at Southampton. Clearly already more youth product had come through the Southampton ranks. There was some bubbling under ready for him to promote. He was allowed a little bit of a budget. I think that the clays modelling at Southampton has been far more ready for the Pochettino effect, partly because of the project he inherited from Nigel Agnes, partly because of Cortese's ruthless ambition. I mean, there are many players at Southampton who feel the colours, who genuinely feel, you know, this is my club and I belong here and I've been, if not brought up here from being a kid, been here a long time. These are all things that appeal very strongly to man management mode and to the athletic pressing. And also he's aware of the football intelligence point I made is that he's aware that the Premier League is played at a different pace and that the territorial advancement and how they press and how many of them press and how long they'll press for when they don't have the ball, that has to be different than in La Liga where it's much more torpor. Probably against the athletic, skillful players in La Liga, I think it's very rare to see teams pressing high, high up all the time in La Liga. Graham, thank you very much indeed for your uh, insight into Mr Pochettino. Appreciate your time. Pleasure.
Graham Hunter, Spanish uh, football correspondent based in Barcelona. Um, the word ruthless popped up a couple of times there. There is, there is one story about Pochettino who took over at Espanyol and within a couple of weeks sacked the physio... <laughs> despite the fact that he was the godfather of the physio's son. You can have no friends in football, Ian, sometimes. Was he a good physio? I'm not sure. Well, if he wasn't a good physio, he did the right thing. (laughs) He certainly seems to be doing the right thing (laughs) at Southampton. Let's uh, talk about three other teams uh, in the top of the table mix. We have touched on them, but Chelsea and Manchester City started, of course, with new managers. Liverpool have gone from strength to strength under Brendan Rodgers in his second season in charge. They're now just two points behind Arsenal in second spot. They're Brazilian midfielder Lucas Lever explained to us on this podcast a few weeks ago why things have clicked into place. We understand the way Brenda wants us to play and of course with a few players coming in helped us to strengthen the squad. That's been the key and of course last season we, we spoke a lot about consistency and that's what we try to have this season. You know, it's still early but we already are showing that we are a very good team that is difficult to beat as well so we just hope that we will keep it like that and show we are a team that will be ready to compete until the end a lot of Liverpool fans enjoying the way they're competing at the moment Neil it's it's a case of keeping it going and and getting those goals perhaps from other areas that you touched on before yeah I think that they they probably will because it's inevitable that at some point this season that there will be a little bit of a dip in form for Daniel Sturridge and and Luis Suarez I I saw Lucas Lever against Aston Villa earlier in the season I thought it was absolutely outstanding for Liverpool in the centre of midfield that's an important position for them of course the continued influence of Steven Gerrard in the centre there for Liverpool they need him to, in terms of goals I don't think he scored in the Barclays Premier League so far this season is he for Liverpool so he's playing more games he's played every game for Liverpool so far but he's not scoring goals and that's something that um, that Brendan was although maybe playing that slightly deep lying position for them just in front of the back four where I'm sure he's enjoying it at the age of 33 just having a little bit more of a rest in there to enable him to play more games at the highest level crucially as well is that in defence as the experience of players like Colo Torre, who's won, who's won titles with Manchester City. He's also won the title with Arsenal. He was part of the Invincibles. So can't forget that Brendan Rodgers hasn't done it. You know, whatever we think of him as a, uh, an innovative coach and however good he is on the training ground, this is somebody who's never won a league title and has, has won a playoff final with Swansea, but he hasn't won a Barclays Premier League title. And, and sometimes you need that experience. Well, two managers who probably expected to be above uh, Brendan by this stage are Chelsea's Jose Mourinho and Manuel Pellegrini of Manchester City. Fourth, of course, Chelsea at the moment, City in eighth, but Pellegrini says that his side are still on course for the title. The ambition is exactly the same. I think the, the Premier League is very close in six or seven teams. We have a lot of more matches to play. Luck, has, for me, is always a part of the result is a lack, and I hope in the future we will have it more than at the moment. Well, we know it's a learning process for him in a new country, Ian, but you've got to be a fast learner these days. Do you think he is? Yeah, I think he's a fast learner. I think there's a little difference between the two managers is that one, it's his own team. Well, I don't think, as yet, this is Jose Mourinho's team. I really don't. I think he's only brought one player in, Hineto. Of course, he's got great talent there. I'm not seeing the hallmarks of, of his side yet. So, Pellegrini, I think he's right. They've had one or two bad luck, well, bad mistakes more than bad luck. So, they're, they're, they're being very costly. But I just sense that 
they will tidy them things up and come the window. I think they'll also add, a, add one or two defensively and they'll be right in the shake-up. And Neil, from a football writer's perspective, mm. is, is Mourinho still a, a joy to work with? Yeah, he is. I, I don't know about a joy to work with first time around because there would go long periods when he'd have a little soul, could have a little mood on. We wouldn't see him. He used to send his assistant, Steve Clark, to see us for weeks on end. So the idea, this sort of misty-eyed you know, belief that you know the kind of glory days of um, his first spell in charge at Chelsea just simply didn't exist. But this time around, he's, he's presented himself as the kind of father figure, the godfather of the Barclays Premier League, now, now that Sir Alex Ferguson has, uh, has retired at Manchester United. He has been a lot more accessible. Of course, he's good fun to be around. He's very colourful. I mean, he's very interested. I remember him picking his first fight of the season it was with Paul Lambert after the Aston Villa game at Stamford Bridge. And he said, well, when, when Paul sort of grows up and uh, you know is a, bit, is a bit more senior and a bit more mature, and I kind of think, well, Paul Lambert's not only a couple of years behind you, Jose, you know, so... Yeah. He's a great character and he knows how to build great teams, but they're always combustible as we've seen in the past with Chelsea and as we've seen in the past at uh, Real Madrid. be interesting to see what his demeanour's like if they have a couple more bad results before Christmas. Plenty more to come from Neil and uh, Ian Dowie, plus a former Norwich great tells us why Chris Hewton should remain at Carrow Road. But first, it's time for our half-time tweets. We'll start at Wembley in two of England's debutants against Chile on Friday night with former Southampton midfielder Richard Chaplow full of praise for his old teammates. So happy and proud of Lalana and J-Rod. Deserve it for their performances and both great lads. Hashtag Saints. One player who had to sit out this week's internationals was Wales midfielder Aaron Ramsey, but he is confident of being fit for the Gunners' clash with Southampton at the weekend. Gutted to miss the game on Friday. My hamstring was tight after training. Medical staff didn't want to risk me. I'll be fine for next weekend. To another of the home nations, Scotland, where Norwich midfielder Robert Snodgrass had a journey to forget. Flight to Norway, sitting beside James MacArthur and Scott Brown. Couldn't have thought of anything worse. Zzz. Manchester City midfielder Fernandinho has been out in the Middle East this week, but he's been on club duty, not international duty. Very glad to meet the young players at Manchester City Football School in Abu Dhabi. And finally, even heroes have heroes, with Spurs and Brazil midfielder Paulinho in awe of meeting a certain ex-player in the States. Look who we met yesterday here in Miami. Hashtag Beckham. Remember, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the Barclays Premier League by following at Barclays Footy on Twitter, hashtag YouAreFootball. Welcome back to the Barclays Premier League podcast with me, Marcus Buckland, alongside the former West Ham Crystal Palace and Southampton striker Ian Dowie and the Daily Mail's football news correspondent Neil Ashton. While we've spoken about the teams at the top of the table, let's uh, take a look at some of those at the other end. Starting with Sunderland, having replaced Paolo Di Canio last month, Gus Poet has given the fans reason for optimism with two wins in his first four Barclays Premier League matches. And striker Fabio Borini says he's had an instant impact. Lots of the work we've done is because of him and he came in and he gave us like the enjoyment we needed and and obviously the football so now it's take a little bit time to improve again but that's a great first step well so far so good it's interesting in because the former Sunderland chairman Niall Quinn said that Poyet wasn't even on his radar as a replacement for Paolo Di Canio did it come as a surprise appointment to you no well, I mean I'm a little surprised that Niall thought it wasn't on his radar I mean he's done a, a magnificent job at, at Brighton anyone who knows Gus is, knows he's a bully 
brilliant character. His sides played a balance of very, very good attacking football and a decent defensive record when he was there. So no, I wasn't surprised. I'm, I'm delighted he's got the opportunity because he's, he's a fantastic lad. And he'll, he'll think about that game at the weekend, watch it, and probably can't believe he won the game. You know, Wes Brown's out for 22 months and comebacks to play at that level. All right, they defended deep. He didn't have to get exposed, but still, fantastic defensive all-round effort from the whole team and uh, City didn't have enough answers. Yeah, got a good record, haven't they, of course, at home against Manchester City. Mm. Um, Neil, you know, some have described Poyet as a De Canio Mark II to mm. some degree. Is, is that a little unfair? Well, he's, he's quite manic, isn't he, in his, in his demeanour, but he's, um, I think he's more thorough and I think he's more personable with his players, which is important. So in terms of respect that Paolo De Canio has got the, the stellar career, he's got the pedigree, we all know what a great player he was, but he's just so chaotic with it, whereas Poyet always strikes me as a bit more of a man with a plan he, he's very demanding he knows the system he knows the tactics he knows the kind of players and the responsibilities and the duties that those players have to carry out and he expects them to do it and if you don't want to do it then he'll just replace you and, and bring in somebody else so there is it's not a mirror image by any stretch of the imagination but he will fall out with players because there will be players who won't necessarily want to do or play the game that he wants it but they'll strategically be moved on in January one player he's reportedly interested in signing Ian is his own <laughs> teenage son Diego that could be combustible if he gets in and then falls out with his own son. He's playing at Charlton at the moment, a promising attacking midfielder. You've seen him in action. Yeah, nothing like a bit of nepotism. Um, <laughs> I think Diego's a very, very talented young player and that will be more for the long term than it will be for the short term. I suggest that come January he may have more exciting targets for the Sunderland faithful than his son Diego. But Diego, I've, I've seen him play well, about a year ago. He looks a very talented young individual. Well, from the Barclays Premier League's newest recruit to another manager who's under considerable pressure in the bottom half of the table. After last season's 11th place finish, Norwich are now just a point from safety in 15th. But their manager, Chris Hewton, says the 3-1 win over West Ham just before the break could well spark a revival. We had a similar start last season where we had some tough games, didn't start so well, and we had a, a game here against the Arsenal which we won. And from then onwards, we were a better side and it, it was a little bit of a, a spring for us to go into better things for that period. Now, there's certainly a good feel factor at the moment and it's always nice to go into the international break with a win and um, we'll enjoy this but we'll look forward to a real tough one at, uh, at Newcastle in a couple of weeks time. Well for a little more insight on Chris Hewton and Norwich's chances of survival this season we're joined by their former goalkeeper and manager a Canaries legend Brian Gunn. Thanks for joining us Brian. Yeah no problem at all. Now we just heard from Chris Hewton how big a win was that against West Ham do you feel? massive for Chris. I did send him a text right after the game and it took a couple of days to get a response back but uh, I think it was a relief that they got that victory at home on the back of a bad run of games it must be said. You know, they're unfortunate with the way that the fixtures have been dealt to them certainly in October and the early part of November with Chelsea, Arsenal Man United and Man City all to play so you know, the confidence was knocked on several occasions in that month but the home form is very important for Norwich City and uh, to get that win Gives them the confidence now, and I'm sure that Chris was hoping that there'd be another game following up very quickly at home, but um, you know, obviously they've got a very tough fixture away at Newcastle now. He'll be hoping that the confidence is still within the squad, and then they can go up there and possibly get something from that game as well. And Brian, bearing in mind how well he did last season, are you surprised that he's been under as much pressure as he has been in the early weeks of this campaign? It's strange, as I say, that it's probably the fixture list, the way it was um, you know, sort of dealt out at the beginning of the season. Last season, they had an unbelievable 10-game unbeaten run. Saying that, they also had some good results against some of the top teams in that as well. But um, he's just looking for that consistency now. Unfortunately, the investment they made at the beginning of the season on the likes of Hooper and Van Wolfswinkel, you know, it's not paid off yet. But that's not to say that these guys are not going to get into a, a scoring run in the weeks to come. 
you know, I think he'll be hoping for that. They're certainly um, getting into areas in, in the pitch that um, you know they, they could be doing better. They should be scoring more goals, but um, it's just not happening for them at the moment. Gun interesting there. I mean, I've watched a little bit of Norwich now. I think they've played better than the results lots of times. It seems to be there's a pressure at home now to go with a two up front, which is really a bit of an anathema to what he did during that 10-game run last year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what I'm hearing from my contacts back in Norfolk that, um, you know, really need to get that two-man strike force working, certainly at home, to justify the, the outlay that they made at the start of the season to uh, get those points on the board. It's going to be a very tough run, you know, as I say, they've got Newcastle away at the weekend, who, on the back of that fantastic win and down at Spurs, they're coming back into it in confidence as well, and I'm sure the Geordie fans will be pushing them on, and then, you know, the week after, they've got a very important game against Crystal Palace, you know, those are the type of games they need to win, but, you know, again, the fixture's uh, very difficult, and um, it's just getting that consistent run, and whether that is with the two-man strike force, that's down to Chris to make that decision. I'm sure that the fans would like to see that. But, you know, he's the man that's paid the money to put the team on the pitch to get the results. So um, I'm looking at it and, and hoping that they're going to get results that um, continue the confidence that they gained last week at uh, home against West Ham. Now, a man occupying your former position has been one of Norwich's star performers over the last few seasons, in fact. How highly do you rate John Ruddy, Brian? Very highly indeed. And, you know, I thought he was a bit unfortunate in, in the game against Manchester City where it was an all-round bad day for everyone. And sometimes those type of fixtures come out every now and then. And that was one of the poorest performances I saw from John Ruddy. He's obviously been away with England now and um, he'll come back from that nice and fresh, having worked with quality goalkeepers like Joe Hart and Fraser Forster. And um, he's going to be very important at Newcastle. Big crowd up there. He's going to be under pressure throughout the game. It's important that um, you know he stands up to the test as well now. Clean sheet is one thing that Norris City and, and, and Chris Hewton pride themselves on. And um, the sooner they get back into that, the better. And um, John Ruddy certainly will play a major part in Norris City staying in the Premier League this year. Got a couple of Twitter questions for you, Brian. Um, first of all, at Gabe96 wants to know how your son Angus is doing at Man City. Well, he's doing very well up until a, a month ago when he actually broke his finger in a, an under 19 Champions League game against CSK Moscow. Very bravely dived at a striker's feet, but very bravely played on the rest of the game and made a couple of good saves and, and, and helped them to a draw. So he's under the surgeon's um, sort of remit at the moment, but uh, hopefully a week's time he'll be back playing. And they've got a big game in their um, Champions League uh, fixtures in, in Bayern Munich in a couple of weeks' time. So he's hoping to be fit for that. So just the start of hopefully what will be a, you know, a long career. We wish him well. Uh, one other Twitter question, at Gaz Walsh one wants to know, what was the greatest goal that you ever conceded? It had to be Jan Mulby at Anfield. On the back of three successive clean sheets um, back in the late 80s. Um, Unlike you. Well, very stupidly went in the press the next day or or the uh, the week before the the, the game and uh, put up a no-entry sign. And um, Jan Mulby stuck one in from 35 yards in the top corner. (laughs) (laughs) You were tempting fate, weren't you? That was me. Uh, The clean sheet record had gone then. But, um, (laughs) yeah, certainly a great experience from back then in the uh, the late 80s. One more for you, Brian. Uh, You played under Sir Alex Ferguson, of course, at Aberdeen in your early days. What was the best bit of advice that he ever gave you? Oh, the best bit of advice. Stay well, on your line. No. <laughs> that was one thing he, he wanted me not to do. <laughs> he wanted me to be, be the sweeper keeper. And, um, you know, something I, I, I did a lot was play outfield in training. You know, the pass-back rule when it came into uh, operation certainly benefited from, uh, you know, my early experiences under Sir Alex uh, Aberdeen. But I think it was when he said to me when I left Aberdeen, he did say to me I was a top-six goalkeeper. Obviously, went to Norwich at the time and unfashionable club. 
But um, he was right because we finished fifth the first season, fourth two seasons later than that, and um, third in 92-93. So I think that was his best piece of advice. He gave me the confidence to go away, believe in my own ability, and uh, play at the highest level I could. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful for all the advice and um, tips he gave me over the years. Well, you had a fantastic career, and it's been great to talk to you today. Thank you so much for joining us, Brian. Pleasure. Brian Gunn, the former Norwich goalkeeper, one of the good guys of football. Think Norwich are going to be all right come the end of the season, Neil? They rely on goal scorers, and Chris Hewton brought in goal scorers, what he thought were going to be goal scorers over the summer. Hasn't quite worked out that way so far. Very important win for him against West Ham. But when managers are under pressure and they're going from game to game, wondering whether they are about to get the sack, and I believe that had they lost at home to West Ham at Carroll Road, that Chris Hewton wouldn't be in that job anymore, and they'd be looking for a new manager, probably from somewhere in uh, deepest South Wales, if you can uh, get my drift. Um, then um, the players become aware of that and they know that something is afoot and he's made some big signings in the summer Gary Hooper uh, Van Volswinkel as well those players have to come together very very quickly and start scoring goals to get them out of the problems that they're in at the moment at the bottom of the table Cardiff fans will be a little concerned at your uh, yeah. inference there I think yes uh, well Malcolm Mackay is somebody who of course played at Norwich knows Delia Smith very well and when he was when he was the Watford manager and whenever they played Norwich in the championship always used to send Delia up a nice bottle of champagne into the boardroom after the game so of course they they go back a long way but uh, the relationship still exists it's still very good and at some point in the future whether whether that's in the immediate future but Malcolm Mackay will be a target for Norwich City as their next manager. Another club who will hope their fortunes change for the better after the international break is Fulham who last week appointed René Moulinstein as their new head coach to work alongside manager Martin Yole. Now Neil Moulinstein was of course one of Sir Alex Ferguson's right-hand men at Old Trafford. How good a coach is he and is he going to fit in to the current Fulham setup. Mm. Renner's He's on record as saying world-class players demand world-class coaches and that's what he was at Manchester United. Now, he's not short of confidence when he's saying something like that, but I also agree with him. Robin Van Persie, Rio Ferdinand, Wayne Rooney, that's what they demand when they drive into Carrington every day at Manchester United, that the expectation is that the coaching is going to be top class. So they delivered on, under Mullenstein and let's not forget their achievements while they were there. Mike Phelan as well, part of that coaching stuff. Let's not forget him. Can he go into Fulham and find a way to motivate those players? Because at Manchester United, the players walk in, they come in every day, they're motivated, they want to win league titles what's the motivation at Fulham the motivation is to, to finish in mid-table and pick up decent mid-level mid-sized contracts in in the division that they're playing in I'm not sure that Mullenstein will have that kind of galvanizing effect on a group of players who aren't aren't title winners he's spoken about having a shared vision Ian with Martin Yole but just the dynamics of this managerial setup of effectively two guys at the top working together in harmony yeah but there has been a clarification of that there's a manager and head coach role which happens at a lot of clubs so that's not so surprising I think it's very important that it is a shared vision with Martin Yol. I think Fulham fans have to be careful what they wish for. It's very important that Munstein is going as a coach under Martin Yol because players want a line of reporting. They want demarcation lines it has to be very clear. The authority has to be very clear in clubs. And if there's any blurring of them lines, well, do we go to Rennie? Do we go to Martin? I think that's disrespectful to Martin Yol. So it's going to be interesting. I agree with that. I think that he's developed from being a, a skills coach. And I think still that's his biggest strength, his skills coaching rather than the big picture. So it's going to be interesting to see. I'm a great admirer of Martin Yol, by the way. I just hope, hope he does get it right because I, I like him very much. Well, they've lost their last three. Uh, home to Swansea at the weekend. So a, a chance certainly to get back on track. Now, talking about great fixtures uh, this weekend, Everton host Liverpool in the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday. A win for Roberto Martinez's side will put them on the same number of points as their Merseyside rivals. Uh, 
the kind of fixture that excites everybody, including football journalists. Yeah, you know? of course. It's a, and it's, you know, we talked about teams that could go on to win the title. This is an important game for Everton in terms of their own development to see where they are up against the side that, that uh, has been scoring a lot of goals with Suarez and, uh, and Sturridge up front, but also for Brendan Rodgers. But we discover this weekend whether Liverpool can withstand the, the heat, the pressure and the expectation because the expectation is that the very, very minimum here is that they get a result and buy a result. That's, that's a draw. But to go and win a title, they still have to go to Everton, still have to win that game. Mm. Yeah, it used to be called the friendly derby. Mm. It's not uh, anymore. Did, did no. Maybe no. Off, off the pitch, certainly not on it. Well, to discuss the chances uh, of the teams on Saturday, we are joined by an Everton and a Liverpool fan. Dave Cochran is a Blues season ticket holder and Graham Ag a lifelong red. Thanks for joining us, guys. No problem. Let's start with you, Dave. You'll be at Goodison, cheering yeah. on Everton, of course. Is this the biggest fixture of the season still for you guys? Yeah, without doubt. Without doubt. I think uh, Liverpool say it's the Man U one is very big, but I think everyone knows deep down that the, uh, the Merseyside derby is the main one. And Graham, Liverpool, an informed side, but Everton have only lost once this season, so uh, on paper it looks perhaps a, a tougher derby than usual. Well, I think it will be, um, it, you know, as always, this is Everton's cup final. Um, since the David Moyes era, in nearly 12-year reign, in the whole history of derby matches between Liverpool and Everton, Liverpool had the most successful period on David Moyes era. I certainly don't think um, that will continue under Martinez. I think it will be a lot tougher under Martinez because I think he's a better manager, but we're going into the game certainly full of confidence and scoring loads of goals. But um, the man United game is certainly for us the game of the season. This is Everton's Cup final and has been for many years. Is that being a little condescending to call it your Cup final? Um, to be honest, just it's one of them. I'm used to it. You know, it's uh, <laughs> a bit of banter. We can all take that, you know. Uh, hopefully we'll get the bragging rights come at the end of the game on Saturday. Romelu Lukaku has obviously been a star for you this season, but what's pleased you most about the way you've played your football under Martinez so far? It's uh, very attractive. We do keep the ball a lot. Sometimes we chew it too much, uh, but it's good on the eye. Brought in some great players in Barry, Lukaku, uh, McCarthy's starting to shine now. Uh, Ross Barkley's coming to the fore. So, yeah, it's, it's looking good under Martin. It? Football's very good to watch. And, Graham, obviously Suarez and, and Sturridge are doing great things for you. Do you think you are good enough to go all the way and win the league this season? I mean, it'll be absolutely a dream to, after 24 years, which, you know, which is, it's a disgrace anyway. The Liverpool, a club, a world club like Liverpool, it's about 24 years without winning the Premier League. You know, it's about time we did this. And I think this season we'll probably never get a better chance because United are going through a uh, period where, you know, they've lost the manager. Um, Chelsea are not the team at all, even with Marino and um, Man City have got a new manager so but at the end of the day if we get back into the Champions League it'll be, it would be a successful season it would be superb if we could go on and win the league but um, what I do think I think it'll go to the last game of the season I think the league is wide open and if any team can put a, a run of 10-12 games together you know it's there for the taking Finally a prediction from you both Graham? Yeah I think it'll be a, a tough game for Liverpool but I think we're going to shade it 2-1 Dave? I think if we keep Suarez quiet um, I think we'll do it 1-0 Dukaku well, that's a big if, but good luck to both of you. Thank you very much to Dave Cochran, Blues season ticket holder, and Graham Ag, who will be cheering on the Reds. Well, that is the Saturday lunchtime match kicking off at 12.45. Also on Saturday afternoon, Fulham against Swansea, as we've mentioned, Hull against Crystal Palace, Arsenal at home to Southampton. That's an interesting one. Newcastle play Norwich, Stoke against Sunderland, and at 5.30, it's West Ham against Chelsea. Sunday afternoon, Manchester City and Spurs, followed by Cardiff against Manchester United, and the Monday night match is West Brom against Aston Villa. Neil, where are you going to be this weekend? I'm, I'm going to Cardiff against Manchester United on, uh, on Sunday afternoon, but actually the fixture, the pick of them for me this weekend is Arsenal Southampton on the Saturday at the Emirates that's that's one for the purists it's going to be a great game and I believe 
because of the partnership in the centre of Southampton's midfield, Schneidlin and Wanyama, that they will go to the Emirates, they're going to win. And Manchester City Spurs, a fascinating fixture for both sides in, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. In lots of ways, it might be the sort of ideal tonic for Tottenham, who generally like sides who come on to them, and City will have to do that at home, but you sense with City's home form, they're almost irresistible. We're almost done. Let's finish the show with some more predictions for the weekend. No justification needed. I simply want a yes or no answer. Ian, will Roberto Martinez get all three points for Everton in his first Merseyside derby? No draw. Neil, will Aston Villa leapfrog West Brom in the table with a win at the Hawthorns? No. Ian, can City maintain their 100% home record against Spurs? Yes. Neil, will the Martignol-Rennie-Mullenstein regime kick off with a win against Swansea? No. Ian, will David Moyes make it 10 games unbeaten in all competitions after Sunday's match at Cardiff? Yes, yes. And Neil, can Sunderland's Gus Poyet make it two wins on the spin at Stokes' expense? An emphatic yes. Thank you very much indeed. One last one, actually, before you go. Not a, a yes or a no, but who will be top of the table at Christmas? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think Chelsea will be there by Christmas. Arsenal. And yet you said they're not going to win anything this season. I still think they'll be there, but then they'll get run over in the second half of the season. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much indeed for your company, Ian Dowie and Neil Ashton. Now, just before we go, don't forget to have uh, a try at this week's trivia teaser. Can you name the only player to have played for both Everton and Liverpool in Merseyside derbies in the same Barclays Premier League season? A small clue, it happened in the 2002-03 campaign. If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook page and we will reveal the answer on the site later in the week. Join us again next week when Matt Holland will be here to analyse three crucial top-flight derbies as well as that tasty-looking clash between Manchester City and Spurs. But until then, from me, Marcus Buckland, Ian Dowie and Neil Ashton, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays.